You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business unusual. So, um, so welcome to this week's edition of um, Topco um, Business Unusual podcast. Today, I'm joined by Krista DeVitt, who's the the country manager for Luno. So we're going to be talking crypto. We're going to be talking East Asia. We're going to be talking, you know, all these interesting things and really also about um, you, Christo, you know, uh, where do you get the sparkle from, I suppose, is what we want to find out. But you're also in Cape Town at the moment. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's great to be here and have a chat with you. So currently, yeah, I'm, I'm based out of Cape Town, uh, I am a, a Cape Town boy, you know, true and true. But uh, before joining Luna, I was actually uh, living in Southeast Asia in Thailand for a few years, working over there. I saw that. I saw that on on your LinkedIn profile, and I suppose it really. Uh, it, I was inquiring what what made you go there, and I suppose the next question was, well, why the bloody hell did you come back? <laughs> You know the the question of why you go, why we why we left South Africa and, and went to Southeast Asia was purely, I would guess, just wanderlust um, and looking what else is out there. Um, it, it came at a time in our lives when we we really looked for another opportunity and a little bit of a change of scenery. So my wife and I uh, left South Africa. We spent some time in Vietnam, and then uh, opportunity came knocking. In the weirdest, in the weirdest way, by just a random LinkedIn message saying, "Hey, we're looking for someone in Myanmar," and uh, I was actually at the airport boarding a flight when I got the message, and I go like, "Oh, okay, wait, Myanmar? No, it's it's, it's in Southeast Asia. I was in Vietnam at the time, and I'm like, okay, let's let's Google a little bit, let's find out, and read up about like the the history and, and all of that of Myanmar." And I go like, "Okay, interesting." Um. And then a few odd discussions here and there. And before I knew it, I was on a on a flight with with all my belongings, my wife and I, to Yangon, uh, where I joined a Rocket Internet startup. So I'm sure you're familiar with Rocket Internet, the, the massive incubator from from Germany that gave us the likes of, you know, Lazada and, and Food Panda and so much and so forth. And I was working um, in a marketing capacity for. Uh, an e-commerce startup um, that was HQ'd in Yangon, but but a regional role looking after Myanmar, Cambodia, Bangladesh, and Cambodia. So that that was such a fascinating experience, and it really kind of gave me such great insights into Southeast Asia and the tech scene in Southeast Asia. Um, and you know, as things happen, uh, we were looking the the, the tech. Uh, startup was looking for an exit and while that was happening another opportunity came knocking next door in in Thailand so we jumped at the opportunity to to head over to Thailand and we really fell in love with the place I mean I'm sure everybody that's been to Thailand no would would, would fall in love with it I, I will add a little bit of a you know a, a caveat here that that living somewhere and going on holiday somewhere <laughs> But yeah, I, I ended up working, or the opportunity I had in, in Bangkok was working for uh, one of the biggest, or the telcos um, called True, the fintech uh, affiliate uh, of, the fin, uh, of, the, of the telco called True Money. And it was the, the biggest telco, uh, finco, fintech, excuse me, it was the biggest fintech in Southeast Asia. Um, and because of my Myanmar experience, you know, it was just very well suited for me to start working on the Myanmar side of the business. So um, we operated on mobile money as well as international and domestic remittances through mobile wallets, as well as um, OTC agent stores, you know. Um, and at that time, True Money had around 60,000 agents you know across the markets that we operated in in southeast asia and that's where the the fintech bug bit me and i really really got it got sucked into 
um, the fintech space and really fascinated by how to bring financial access and financial inclusion, especially to the unbanked. Um, and if we look specifically to the to Myanmar, um, and I'm not sure how many of the listeners are familiar with Myanmar, but um, prior to the coup that happened there in 2020 or 2021, the the country was really on a trajectory to to really make significant growth and. Um, it was really a, a very up-and-coming economy. So there was huge opportunity there, and it was really fascinating. I I think I really excelled in, in Myanmar, and before no time, I, you know, I was promoted to the country manager for our Myanmar operations. So that saw me with my, my wife still living in Thailand. It saw me jumping on a flight every Monday morning to Yangon, being there from Monday to Friday, and then catch the afternoon flight back to Bangkok, have a weekend on uh, in Bangkok and, you know, rinse and repeat for about two, two and a half years. Sure. Um, it was, it was a, it was such an incredible experience. I mean, Myanmar gave me so much um, insight into, you know, how a frontier market will, will approach something like FinTech and how they embrace it. And I think what was so fascinating was the similarities I could draw between the Myanmar market as well as, the South African market or, or African market in general, you know, in Myanmar, they they went to to mobile first. There, there was no internet before mobile. So they completely leapfrogged the desktop laptop phase. It was all mobile. Um, and that was that was also a very interesting learning curve, the way they use the internet, the way they used money, the way they did transactions. Yeah. Um, and then after my time in, in, in Myanmar, when, when things got a little bit dimensionless, we, we uh, you know, kind of settled back in, in Bangkok, where I took a, a more regional role in the business, you know, overlooking most of our markets, which included Myanmar, Cambodia, Indonesia, Philippines, and, and Vietnam. Um, and that was from a, a wallet strategy as well, from a, a broader marketing perspective. Um, that gave me some great, great experience for, you know, learning how to kind of work with different markets and how to apply different strategies and adjust different strategies across the different markets. And during this time, you know, we were going through through the pandemic. Um, we were in lockdown. Um, you know, we couldn't really leave the country. We couldn't, couldn't um, come back home. So when... When we got the opportunity to come back in March this year, my wife and I had been talking and say, you know, and we think the time's right for us to to come home. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I said to you, Table Mountain was calling. And it's actually quite a fascinating story. As I uh, as we 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 landed at the airport and we got into our taxi and drove into town, I saw this this uh, this new sign on a on a building that I did not recognize. I mean I I know that there used to be a Samsung or a, an LG or something. And then I saw Luna. F&B, yeah. F&B, there we go. And <laughs> yeah. I saw Luna. And I was like, okay, um, this this must be something. I mean, we haven't been back in the country for almost three years prior to this. And I'm like, okay. So I started Googling Luna. What is Luna all about? And, you know, prior to this, my wife and I said, okay, well, we'll see what opportunities are available in the country when we come back. And after having that, aha moment with the Luno, the Luno sign on top of the building in Cape Town, I saw that there was an opportunity for a, for a country manager in South Africa. I said, oh, this looks very interesting. <laughs> and uh, I guess this is the point in the story. We say, well, the rest is history because here I am. Oh, well done. So, I mean, just circling back to East Asia and Asia, I mean, we were speaking before this, but, you know, I, I did a podcast with Leila Faree and she also spent some time there. And I think she made it one of her, she got a lot of insights from the a level of investment and the amount of, I suppose, action that's happening there and financing and how South Africa is quite focused on Europe and generally the States, but there's big, big opportunities in East Asia. Um, and do you, do you find the same sort of thing? So there's a lot of lessons learned. Massive lessons. And, and absolutely. I mean, I think South Africa's focus on, if we look from a, a Eurocentric point of view, it could just be because of timeline, time zone, and, and, yeah. and that um, thing. But I think where opportunities at at the minute, I mean, first and foremost, massive opportunity on the African continent. But if we if we look further east, you know, Asia is is really a continent that 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 you need to keep your eye on. And, and as I uh, said to you before, I think. 
one of the misconceptions about Southeast Asia is that, that that's the place you go on holiday. You know, you go there for the white sandy beaches, the palm trees. But it, if you look at Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, huge, huge budding, you know, economies that it's really hungry for development. And they're really trying to solve very intricate, intricate challenges. Mm. Um, and, and I think one of the 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 um the key attributes here is, is the fact that Singapore played such a key role in establishing yeah. itself as such a huge financial hub. And that also gave way to the, the the countries around Singapore to really kind of tap into that that hunger for development. Indonesia, fascinating market, huge, huge potential, huge market. I mean, um there's there's some of the, the biggest as we call them in the in the startup world, unicorns are in in Singapore. Sorry, in Indonesia, um, and and even like I said, uh, Thailand. You know, a few years ago, it, one would not be able to to think that uh, a tech unicorn would come out of Thailand, and I think they're already on unicorn number three, um, with the biggest also being uh, a crypto exchange. So. It's really, really a fascinating, fascinating continent with huge development opportunities. So, you know, keep your eye on the East. It's that's, yeah. that's where a lot of the development's happening. I think it's interesting to to look at that. But I saw today, just preceding this podcast, there was a press release that came out that said that Hong Kong's looking to trade through Bitcoin. They've got Bitcoin ATMs and everything. So they're trying to dominate the Bitcoin market now with their transactions. Interesting. I, I haven't seen that uh, that press release, but I'll definitely have a look. I mean, it could have definitely some very interesting developments in uh, in the pipeline for something. Yeah, to I, th- I think they're trying to there. legalize legalize crypto. That's what it is in retail. So legalized crypto retail. So okay. interesting stuff. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I suppose I suppose we're here to talk about number one, Luno, but but also crypto because. It, it was we had a meeting about Africa Tech Week. We do Africa Tech Week every year, and Bobby Brown is our MC, and he came through yesterday and he posed the question. It's so funny. It was you know, uh, and he said, "People, a lot of people don't understand crypto," and and um, I was like, "Wow, we got this podcast tomorrow <laughs> with Christo," and I think I understand crypto a little bit, but but maybe. Maybe you can help us. Like, in your ascension, what is crypto? How do we explain it to our children? Well, they probably know better than us. I know they'll explain it to us. Come on. No, I mean, you know, I think with a technology and a development such as crypto, you know, the blockchain, Bitcoin, and all of these, one must be very careful to to have the association of oh I'm an expert in this because it's so new and it's still developing. So so I think every day we learn something new about it because it's 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 still developing, it's still growing. I think in its simplest form and and how I usually like to explain cryptocurrency is you know that the easiest one that people do is it's digital money. But as soon as you say it's digital money, they they only think of it as a currency, you know. For me, cryptocurrency is is a digital asset that is a store of value. So it's it's not a physical thing that you can hold in your hand. It's digital, but it does exist. It's completely tangible, and it has a store of value. It has a utility and a function, um, and that to me is is the crux of it. You know, it's 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 something that's there that has value and it exists. And it can be used for various things, depending on how you choose to apply it. And how we choose to apply it is still growing. It's still developing, depending on where you are in the world and kind of what you want to do with it. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, there is this sense that the speculative aspect of crypto has created a lot of debate, right? I mean, you know, Charlie Munger, he sort of doesn't buy into it. So you've got the old school sort of investors. And then you've got some, you know, some the new guard, I suppose, in many ways, young people, and, and in particular, like looking at like NFTs and the gaming community that's really sort of leaned in. Yeah, I mean... It's a very contentious topic. You know, there's... There's people that's definitely for it. 
against it then there's these new developments like nfts as well that that opens up a whole new kind of field of of things to explore um and i mean myself i wouldn't even try to go into the details of nfts i think that's that's way too complex i think for the purposes of this this chat but if we look at the you know the fluctuations and the the speculative nature of it i mean if we take a step back and look at the history of money and 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 kind of the the history of gold where it kind of originated from you know those were very speculative assets as well it was it's it's just that you know over a period of time we saw mass adoption um and it's that mass adoption that drove down the volatility and made it more acceptable so i think it's an interesting kind of turning point where we are at the moment with cryptocurrencies and you know if we look back at at bitcoin the, the white paper that was published was it in 2009 and it's now already 2022 and we're still having conversations around what is crypto right so um it's it's not a very long period of time that has passed but there's still a lot of education and information that's needed to drive that mass adoption um and to 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 bring it at the forefront of of everybody's um you know uh, uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for knowledge yeah so i mean look because of africa tech week and you know I, i'm i'm part of the exo community I, I have a fair idea of some of the uses of cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and mm. you know i think there's some of the user cases are things like um they put blockchain into cotton and I think about 90% of cotton was being wasted in South Africa just because of storage and um, handling and, you know, where it was getting placed. And I think by using blockchain and and, and finding out where the challenges were or, or where the, the cotton was getting ruined, they were able to to get 100% of the value of the cotton because, yeah, it wasn't like dormant and in storage. And so they were able to put it to good use. And I suppose that these are some of the, the contracts that blockchain and I suppose crypto can create, but I mean, what what other uses are you seeing? That's that's actually it's a very fascinating example, and it's actually such a good way to explain it as well. Because as soon as you try to explain the blockchain using cryptocurrency, that's when people go like, mm, you know, they look at you a little bit cross-eyed. But then when you take another real-world example, you go like, oh, it makes a lot of sense. Because I mean, if we look at the blockchain. Ultimately, ultimately, it's it's a ledger system. The only difference is this this ledgering system is completely transparent. Um, everybody has access to it, and everything that happens on it can be seen and be verified. and And I think that that explanation really kind of makes it very very clear to to everyday people. I mean, other uses for it. Um, if we just look at you know cryptocurrencies, I mean, there's so many. It can be used as as a, as a form of payment right so where the currency part of of the term really comes into play where you know you go to a shop that accepts bitcoin and you can or any other cryptocurrency for that matter and you can buy a cup of coffee with your bitcoin or a tesla um, yeah <laughs> we, <laughs> you can buy a tesla if you want um and and the the other one is is that's i think something that that holds huge opportunity but obviously still needs a lot of thinking and a lot of discussion is is the one for remittances which you know also ties back to my my southeast asian experience because remittances especially if we look at developing and frontier markets such as africa such as southeast asia um you know there's huge populations of migrant workers that that they know they work somewhere but they live somewhere else need to send their money home and the 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 way that these remittances are carried out are usually by intermediaries or third-party services that really charge quite a premium i mean remittances are super super expensive you know you're looking anything around what 15 to 20 percent on on each transaction um and it's usually very small ticket items as well i mean um the basket size that they that they remit is not necessarily that great but mm. it's the sheer volume of those remittances you know the amount of people that do it that's where cryptocurrency, you know, opens up potential for this to be, to solve a real problem and really to put the power back into the consumer's hands. Now, having said that, if we look at maybe, you know, the African continent to, to really drive that 
sufficiently, the needed infrastructure is not there yet. You know, the needed checks and balances are not necessarily there, but it's definitely a potential use case that can be solved. So when you say Um, needed checks and balances, are you talking around sort of um, policy? Are you talking about financial inclusion? Are you talking about the infrastructure? I mean, all of the above. I think if, if we first look at look at policy, you know, if we look at the transfer of money on such a global scale, there needs to be some policy in place to make sure that the money is used for for the right and, and intended purposes. Obviously, mm. you know, a big thing that that as you know, companies that work in the financial industry, you know, anti money laundering efforts, you know, uh, counter terrorism efforts, those, those are the kind of checks and balances that I'm speaking of. The needed infrastructure. Um, if let's say a person works in country A and lives in country B, but country B has no way for that person to use their cryptocurrency, then there's also not a lot of utility in having that ability to send the cryptocurrency. So that's the wider infrastructure that's needed. How do we bring the cryptocurrency to life? How do we use it as a, as a the method of payment? And how can that go across the board, you know, throughout the entire kind of needs of, of people, not just as you know, I earn my salary, I convert into crypto, I send it from point A to point B and then do the conversion again because then you're also losing up because obviously if if that is done through through exchanges, then obviously there's a commission to be paid as well. But the potential is there, the opportunity is there that this technology can solve that and, and really empower customers. So, I mean, I saw that um, there's been a lot of donations through crypto for Ukraine. So there's some of the, I suppose, the positive user cases. Some of the challenges at the moment are people are losing, I suppose, theft of Bitcoin or whatever <laughs> um, is the one. And like you spoke about, uh, so the terrorism and the money laundering and those sorts of things, those are some of the, the bad things that are happening. How important is legislation to the evolving use of crypto? So I think there's a few things I want to unpack there. So, so the first thing is the, is the good use of of crypto, and I mean, just because we can draw this back to Luna as well, we've at Luna we've partnered with with a charity called Food Forward, who we are, have now enabled to do. Um, people can now make donations in cryptocurrency to Food Forward to help them, you know, deliver in in their mandate to to obviously. Um, reduce food waste in South Africa. I mean, similar to what you spoke of, the cotton waste. Um, so, so that definitely is 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 a good use for it, and it, it's good that we speak about the good that cryptocurrency does. There's often a lot of fo- lot of focus on on the negative things, which I think it's too much media time. Mm. Then, if we look to the second part of, of of what you said in terms of of the legislation to kind of combat the negative things. Um, I think we need to take a step back and and maybe look at it from a point like, why do we want legislation? Why do we want regulation in this space? I mean, the blockchain, for instance, can't be regulated. The Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency itself, can also not be regulated. It's the players on the Bitcoin and the players with the cryptocurrency that needs to kind of uh, fall within that regulatory sphere. And it's the same with, um, you know, the regular announcement from last week that cryptocurrency will now be regarded as a financial product, which then paves the way for South Africa to, to um, you know, have their, their crypto service providers be licensed. And the reason why this regulatory framework is so needed is that it that it protects ultimately it protects customers it protects the consumers it protects them against bad operators and just gives them a little bit more power in terms of making wise choices you know um that's what we want from legislation that's what we want from the regulators um we're not taking away you know in the 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 true intended purpose of bitcoin from what was mentioned in the white paper but everything that developed following that publication of the white paper, that's where the regulation comes into play and making sure that we create a safe space for everyday people to also have access to cryptocurrency, which, I mean, ultimately is Luna's mission. 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, we, we do a lot of work across different sectors. And I think one of the, the truisms that we've found is that when a sector or when something um, has legislation and policy um, regarding that new, whatever it might be, financial services product or whatever, that the, the reality is a lot of people see it as closing the sector down or there's problems, but actually from an institutional perspective, the money flows into that a lot more because now big institutional investors who are wanting to get involved on the sidelines, who have a mandate to protect um, people's money, suddenly they, they can pile in. So there's a perception in many quarters that, in fact, this is an ideal opportunity where institutions be piling in and they couldn't do that before this legislation so it's not all bad there is a lot of upside to this what, what's your thoughts there Christo is there no, any I, truth in that no I think I think it's it's very truthful and you've actually hit the nail on the, uh, on the head there you know people hear re legislation regulation and they immediately immediately put a negative spin on it what regulation allows is, is just as you mentioned, it creates that safe space with clear rules um, on, on how to operate in this environment. Um, and when a certain industry becomes regulated, that's also when you see mass adoption following because the, the industries that come that's not regulated, and if we use cryptocurrency for an example, you have your early adopters, people with a very high risk appetite, you know, and, and, and that's fine. But if you want to kind of move into a more mass market appeal and mass market approach, you know, legislation and regulation is, is super needed. But also to achieve that mass market adoption, you need to have certain key relationships with, you know, certain institutional players, like in our instance with, with the banks. Um, you know, the banks, for instance, um, they don't necessarily have a very high risk appetite when it comes to working with cryptocurrency companies. However, in a regulatory environment where, you know, a cryptocurrency service provider is licensed and has the needed, you know, approval to operate, the risk appetite uh, or the risk rating immediately goes down and that makes for much easier, you know, a relationship with the banks. And, you know, we've we've already seen that, that, as soon as the, the notice came out, there was an immediate change in the attitude from the banks towards, you know, working with companies such as ourselves, which is a really, a really, um, you know, positive turn. Um, it means that the tide is changing slowly and, and we're really getting there to that, that mass market adoption phase of, of cryptocurrency. Yeah. I, I see cryptos being used as well for like gaming. I see that's really big. A massive investment. Someone said to me, I think it was um, it's about $160 billion worth of revenues coming through the gaming industry. A I mean, year. The gaming industry is really just the beast on its own. It's, it's super fascinating. And um, I mean, the gaming industry then paired with, you know, the metaverse. And I think the metaverse for a lot of people has also kind of become... <sighs> Some people are super, super excited about it. Other people might go like, oh, not another thing about the metaverse. But, um, and I'm not sure if it's to do with the fact that it's just people don't really understand and they don't buy into it because they don't have that 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 context. But huge opportunity. I mean, um, the gaming industry has lots of potential. There's, there's huge opportunity in that. And there's actually large scale adoption in gaming as well. I mean, uh, we went to uh, Luna had a had an activation at Comic Con, um, and I went into the gaming hall as well as part of this. And I actually had two two dads walk past me, and they talk about their kids. And there's actually a high school gaming league. I mean, when when I was in school, it was your rugby or, or cricket league, right? Now there's an e gaming league. So. It just shows you how how times are changing and how absolutely you know fascinating it is. And obviously, crypto just makes sense for for this to you know as prize money to buy th things um, as as a way to of reward. Many many opportunities. Mm, yeah, and, and I saw also like um, venture capitalists there. 
I think it was like 24 billion or something last year. It's it's going up to 35 billion investments this year. But they're saying they're not really getting a return. Like the the there's still a lot of failure, 99% of failure with these companies. But they're still piling in tens of billions of dollars every year into crypto. So they're seeing they're seeing some upside. And I think you're right about the Meta story because, I mean, if I look at Meta itself, it. it its share price dropped twenty percent the other day. It's sixty percent down for the year, and old poor Mark Zuckerberg's getting an absolute hammering. My gut sense, my personal gut sense, is I was very excited. I can see so many, many, many opportunities with it, but obviously there's skeptics and people who don't. And and I suppose we're just coming out of COVID. It almost seems like a little of a a backlash. Um, people are wanting to go in that human touch but i do see so many user cases um for the metaverse you know for me it's it's things like training how do you visualize things um looking at destinations like south korea like thailand having those exploratory things you know using the metaverse it, it is so immersive and so real it really you know it's it's like um um mindfulness for the brain in so many ways and it can be used for health benefits. I, I see so many user cases, but I also do get this sense that there's a, there does seem to be a negative perception at the moment from a huge amount of people. I mean, I think you make a very interesting point, you know, coming out of COVID, coming out of the pandemic where we were all locked in our houses for, you know, what feels like almost two years. People want that, that real touch, but they they also want to be remote as well so it's 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 best of both worlds (laughs) it's a a hybrid but i think the metaverse is not going away i mean it's only the beginning and i think it can only get get more intricate and develop further and have more real life use cases for us as it goes on yeah i think now what we should do is and i would implore anybody is to do their research on the metaverse understand it what are the potentials? What's currently happening on it? Is it just a gaming thing? Are there real mm-hmm. life applications that you can do with it? That that I think lies, you know, the responsibility there lies with, with each person to kind of educate themselves on this. But I agree with you. I think there's huge potential. There's there's definitely mm-hmm. massive it's unreal. It is unreal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think learning, training, development, we're in conferencing that um j- just networking. Um, w- working in teams, I, I think it's going to disrupt everything. But, but you know, for me, it's it, you almost have this sense that um, you've got to experience it. And so, you know, to be the side of the cautionary and negative, just go, you know, get there might be someone who's got some goggles or maybe there's someone, you know, you can go to one of the stores and experiment. And I would say even if it's 10 minutes, ex- experience through the well, i don't know what you call them the, those goggles but um you know experiences yeah, the, VR. the vr oh man it is it is crazy it, it really is immersive like you forget there's an outside world like so having children is a bit scary but yeah. but but um i can see the way that we work and international boundaries getting collapsed significantly and and so i do see it as massive but i'm 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 sort of I don't know if I'm concerned that the negative perceptions or, you know, I look and see, well, who's driving this in South Africa? Because you need people. You need people to get excited to drive these sorts of opportunities. Um, no, absolutely. And I think if, if we maybe just take a step back and we look at, you know, the blockchain this is this is actually where everything started it was this this development of this technology that made cryptocurrency you know possible that that made nfts possible it's mm. uh, you know the metaverse and all of this so there might be a lot of negative perceptions of it at the moment um you know the same with cryptocurrency it is depending on on which way the market is swinging you know there's sometimes very negative sentiment geared towards it um and it's how we like to put it at luno is it's a long game right you don't yeah. go into it for a quick win you don't go in today and thinking you're going to get a result if you you know invest a thousand rand in bitcoin today 
you know, that image that's portrayed that you're going to get, you know, by a Ferrari or Lamborghini in a week's time. That's kind of the the misconceptions that that we need to to really educate um, people on, because with all of the developments now, and especially cryptocurrency, take a long term approach. You know, yeah. educate yourself with, you know, what are the different cryptocurrencies? What are the top performing cryptocurrencies globally? What are the the top exchanges? And what security and safety does your exchange offer you? Um, and then also look at what what is your your vision? What is your goal? Why do you want cryptocurrency? Why why do you are or why are you interested in the metaverse? For instance, these are the things that you need to think. But don't have that perception around. Okay, you know, get in quick and you know make a quick buck because exactly that's that's first and foremost that just drives negative sentiment towards the industry as a whole. And number two, it's just not feasible. It's 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 not realistic and it's unattainable. Yeah, I, I saw a good podcast about that. And I think it was explained like this, is that there's a lot of people who develop fashion, T-shirts, brands, and 99% of them fail. There's a couple of big brands. And by the way, I think Nike has made $185 million last year from NFTs. So there's one way of one person who's getting it right on the NFTs. But I, I do agree with you. I think if you're into a spe- speculative sort of mindset, then you've got a bit of a problem. For me, I looked at the blockchain as a simple thing. So we, I've done alterations to my house. I've bought properties and I've bought vehicles. And in each of those situations, you've had situations and done business with people. So you've applied services or goods and possibly you didn't get paid. And so for me, I see blockchain as a, as a way of forming a very clear agreement that um, essentially protects both parties. And I think that that's where the legal fraternity, uh, my, my son's at Stellenbosch studying law, and, and it's it's really, I see a big opportunity for him because I think that that's where contracts are going to be done on in crypto. I do really see that the blockchain is going to be the significant ledger of transactions of all assets, both digital assets as well as tangible. I think when when we speak about the blockchain, when we speak about crypto, we we use the word disruption quite a lot you know um we our mission at luna is to to bring the power of crypto to the masses and and that power is driven by the blockchain and that's to to also expose the world to a new disruptive financial system but then for the ordinary person if you take a step back and you go okay, okay but what does that disruption mean what 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 is that what are you going to disrupt and i think you've just mentioned it is that that the blockchain is going to bring a certain level of honesty and transparency to the way that we do things that we've never seen before um and you know we we are seeing it slowly you know being picked up on a small scale here and there but um it's definitely, I think, going to have large-scale impacts as as we move forward and as time goes on. And 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 I've said it before as well. As we see larger-scale adoption of this, it's definitely going to change the way we think and go about doing everyday things. I, I think, like anything, there's there's um, things can do good and things can do not so good. I mean, our goal as an organization is to inspire the world to do good business. And I suppose, um, you know, we we see digital assets like crypto as as possibly doing that and certainly blockchain as an opportunity to eradicate corruption and create transparency for taxpayers you know i think there's so many great opportunities and i think it's about that it's about the possibilities and then suddenly you get excited about these things and realize like anything you know you've got the challenges that come by it but i mean let's talk quickly about luno because i've bought bitcoin and we did really well, in fact. Um, and I didn't over-speculate, so we invested. And then after about a couple of weeks, I took out the initial investment. But the the profit, you could say, just kept on growing and growing. And we, we were very grateful. But um, you guys are expanding. You've 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 sort of moved. You, you're part of the the Naspers group. You've, no, you've, no, no, no. No, you you've moved on. Okay, so tell yeah. us about that. Sure. So, I mean, 
like you said, Luno, you know, we're a cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, we were founded by two South Africans uh, uh, in 2013. So we're going on our 10-year anniversary. Um, wow. And we're currently owned by DCG, which is the Digital Currency Group, which is the, the biggest investor in cryptocurrency and blockchain companies globally. Um wow. So we're wholly owned by them at the moment. Um, and what that provides us is a level of security and surety in terms of um, just a like-minded business approach. So that's why, you know, the the um, it just makes complete sense for us. Uh, in terms of our expansion, you know, we operate already in more than 40 countries. Um, so, so huge, huge global footprint. We already have over 10 million, close to 11 million uh, customers on our platform, of which South Africa is our biggest market. Um, mm. You know, it's the, it was the first market as well. And I mean, Luna was also with, with both Luna in, in South Africa and Nigeria. We were the first crypto exchanges that, that enabled customers to buy cryptocurrency in their own fiat currency. So we were the first one in South Africa that enabled South Africans to buy in Rand and in Nigeria and Naira as well. Um, and, you know, we touched on the regulation and the licensing. You know, we're one of the most licensed and regulated exchanges globally as well. Um, you know, in, in uh, our second biggest market, Malaysia, we're also fully, fully um, licensed and, and regulated. So, you know, very, very significant global footprint. Um, in terms of our uh, headcount, you know, we're already more than a thousand strong, uh, wow. spread across all of our markets, the biggest sitting here in South Africa. Um, so, you know, Luna is really very well positioned at this stage. Um, you know, we have a very focused approach. approach um, and like I said, everything that we do is with that long-term view. Um, we're definitely not in, you know, with a quick uh, bull market and, and reap the rewards. We're really in it for the long run. Like I said, coming on to our 10 year anniversary now and with the core mission of bringing cryptocurrency to the masses, making it a mass market product. Cool. And I see that there's Luno Expeditions and, and I see you guys doing investments. So I wasn't quite sure how that fitted in, but it looks like your sort of investment arm that's investing in other businesses. So so growing the community, growing the... Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So so Luno ex Exhibitions um, actually comes out of our um, relationship with DCG. Um, and it was, you know, discussed that it just very, it sits very well within the Luno brand. Um, but but then, you know, there's almost like a Chinese wall between Luna and Luna exhibitions um, in, in the fact that uh, the focus for Luna exhibitions is to really focus on, on startups with a big focus on Africa that has high potential, that, that has the ability to disrupt and, and change the way that we, we operate. Um, but I mean, to to have the name Luna Exhibitions is also very exciting for us because it also shows that you know we're not just invested in in you know driving revenue, um, but that we're also invested in bringing more value and sustainability to the world and and bringing the world products that actually can make a difference. For sure. And then I saw recently you you're um, sponsoring the Blue Bulls on a three year sort of. I don't know if that was recent or congratulations for that. Um, you, you're really famous now. Why not the Stormers? So what's wrong with the Stormers? <laughs> I'm not allowed to say uh, no. <laughs> no, um, I mean it's 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 fascinating. You know, first we we kind of dabbled a little bit last year. You know, partnering with Rusty saw that virtual, <laughs> and and I think that kind of gave the thinking that if one of the easiest ways to really win over South Africans is you have to look at sport. We are a country that's, you know, driven by sport. And sport is definitely one of the great unifiers of, of this country. And it really, it spreads and spans multiple.